Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Progress Over Perfection Coaching Podcast. Progress Over Perfection Coaching is a podcast focused on career management and development by offering insight on how to build an intentionally balanced and purpose-filled career. Today, we have another career deep dive, and I'm joined by my past colleague and someone who I'm honored to consider to be both a mentor and a friend, Nick Montalbain. I had the privilege of getting to know Nick while we both worked at Nike, and whether he knew it or not, his advice in both formal and casual conversations helped introduce me to new ways of thinking about my own career and opened my perspective to a greater range of possibilities. Nick's career is truly multifaceted and spans deep process expertise through his work as a Lean Six Sigma Master Black Belt, as an operations executive, a strategist, and an executive advisor and leadership consultant. His experience also spans industries including aerospace and defense, financial services, healthcare, and footwear and apparel, always with a keen focus on systems, be they process-driven or centered around people. Now, through all of his experience, Nick remains one of the most grounded individuals I've worked with, and I can't wait for you to listen to his story. I'm sure you'll walk away with at least one actionable nugget of wisdom. Let's get started. Right. Today, I've got Nick Montalbain with me. Nick, thanks so much for uh, agreeing to be on the show. No, Patrick, I'm, I'm honored to be here. I'm so glad we can chat about um, whatever you want to chat about here today. Yeah, absolutely. So um, why I initially reached out to you and kind of, you know, we've known each other for a number of years, but when I always think back, you're somebody that's always stood out as kind of being this role model for building this kind of iterative career, this iterative, intentional career, kind of seeing you come into an organization under one context and then building upon your your cache of experience and credibility in that context to springboard you into the next thing that you wanted. So um, I think it's just incredibly powerful for some of the topics that we talk about on the show around career pivots and how to think about those. And so I'd love to pick your brain over the course of, of this time and kind of help bring some of that to light for others where it might be useful. That's great. Yeah, no, I, I I wish it was more intentional, but no, I'm happy to I'm happy to chat about anything you'd like. Awesome. Well, I mean, maybe we just start with uh, helping everybody get to know you a little bit better. So, do you want to walk through maybe just your career, any stops along the way that were meaningful or important to you? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, usually, what I always tell people to start off this conversation is my whole career has really boiled down into really three things: um, process, strategy and culture. And it's really not rare to kind of have that culture part of it. It is kind of weird to have that, that process and strategy because they're really two opposite ends of that spectrum. Um, so started my career in process as a Lean Six Sigma master black belt. Um, process is in my DNA. It's it's, it's what I know. Um, I'm, I'm not one of those people that just puts, peeps, puts process in for the sake of process. Um, so again, started my career in the aerospace defense industry. Um, again, very process heavy type stuff. Um, then, you know, was asked to go ahead and go shift from the manufacturing sector to see, hey, could I apply process or Lean Six Sigma in the office environment where I got my first exposure to um, financial services company, Textron Financial, um, where that for me, that's where it was eye opening for me of like, yeah, hey, process can live everywhere. It doesn't have to just be on the manufacturing floor. It's really about like inputs and outputs. And, and that's really what was eye-opening for me. Um, I think it was in that 2004-ish timeframe, I got really burnt out on Lean Six Sigma, just to be perfectly mm-hmm. transparent. And I wanted to do something different. So I ran operations for a financial services company in Manhattan. Um, loved that job. 
you know, it was really that first time that I got to lead a large group of people and, and really say, hey, could I apply process while I'm actually doing another job, right? Um, and, and felt like I was pretty successful there, bridging the gap between operations and sales, all that good stuff. Um, that time frame is when the whole financial services market was kind of bottoming out. And um, I kind of saw the writing on the wall. So I went into healthcare, did some consulting in healthcare, where that was just kind of a bunch of stuff, right? I think that's where it was really around people. It was around um, um, HR in some capacity as well. Still that process side of it. Um, and then a random phone call, and we could dive more into this deeply later. Um, random headhunter called me and um, from London and said, hey, you know, um, I've got this opportunity out in Oregon. Are you interested in potentially pursuing it? And they wouldn't give me the name of the company until I said, yeah, I was interested in it. And then they said it was Nike. And uh, Patrick is one of those things. Um, they, they wanted me to they wanted me to come on in into that lean Six Sigma role that you were mm -hmm. referring to. And it was one of those things. I never thought I'd get that job at Nike. I don't even think I really prepared for it. I was like, it's Nike. I said, they, <laughs> they could hire sure. anybody. Why are they going to go ahead and go hire me? Didn't even prepare for it. Um, and then slowly just kept on making it through the process and um, miraculously got an offer. And then uh, my now wife and I, we moved from Orlando, Florida to um, Oregon and within a month. Um, Nike was great for me on a lot of levels and we can go deeper into it, but it also mm -hmm. made me realize the things that I'm passionate about. And for me, my passion is really around people, enhancing people's lives at work. And um, I got to be able to pivot my career into HR, and um, which was phenomenal. I got to learn all the details behind the scenes. I always thought HR was the place for the fun police or where you went with something was wrong. Um, yeah. It is extremely complicated. And the amount of work that people put into that stuff is, is phenomenal. Um, but that's my passion now. And now I, I left Nike about a year ago and I've got my own um, executive coaching team development firm. And here I am. That's awesome. No, thank you for that. And we'll, we'll dive into different parts, I think, of, of your career um, in a little bit. But I think too, uh, you, you mentioned that kind of the career moves just kind of happened. But can you think back to anything that maybe for some of those bigger moves, like from Lean Six Sigma to operations or from consulting in healthcare to Nike, what were some of the things that you considered for those pivots? What were the big like decision points? Yeah, um, it's it's a couple things. Um, I, I think a, a big thing for me is, and I've evolved in this space um, mm -hmm. quite a bit, um, but whenever I didn't feel challenged in a role, that was kind of when that spidey sense came on up and mm -hmm. said, maybe it's time for different. Now, it, it took me a long time to figure this out because when I didn't feel challenged and I was looking for something, the big driver for me, and I hate to admit it, but it, it's real. And I think it's real for a lot of people was financial, right? Mm -hmm. I wanted to go to the to the job that paid me the most amount of money. Um, and, um, and, 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 and that was good um, in the short term, but in the long term, I didn't necessarily feel engaged. I don't think I was necessarily connected to anything, um, whether it was to my values or to the values of the companies, it was just truly a job. Mm -hmm. And um, like I said, I've evolved in this space and, and there are a lot of assessments out there, which I'm happy to dive deeper on into yeah. that, um, that really help give you insight into those things that do value that you do value. Right. And really, again, for me, it, it really came down to, and I still use this to this day of, my mission is around enhancing people's lives at work. 
the work that they do. We spend so much of their of our time working. And when we don't like what we're doing, that it reverberates through your job, through your family life, et cetera, mm-hmm. right? So again, whether it's process improvement or, or unlocking people's potential, that's how I try to bring it to life in terms of um, um, unlocking people's passions at work or they're enhancing their experience a little bit. You know, so now for me, it's, it's it, do I feel like I'm making a difference in people? Do I feel challenged? Do I feel motivated? Does it feel like work? Those are all the things that now start to guide me. But early on, it was really just around, I'm bored. I, I'm going to go look for the job with the, net, with the most amount of money. Yeah. Maybe this is a good time. I mean, you mentioned assessments and, and you and I have chatted on, on assessments yeah. as well. And I think it uh, sounds like there was definitely something that, that happened for you, whether it was through a formal assessment or otherwise, that helped you to realize and bring the, to the forefront some of those things that are important. Can you maybe talk about uh, maybe assessments in general, and then maybe if you've got a couple favorites and we can dig into to a couple of those. Yeah, no, um, um, I am a big believer in assessments, um, but I am, I am going to say not, not all assessments are created <laughs> equal. Sure. Um, and, and there are a lot of them out there and it's a very, very cluttered space. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll speak to two of them that I'm a big fan of. Uh, the first one is the Hogan assessment. The Hogan assessment is primarily used for, for leaders or for individuals that have been in their career for, for some time. And, and to me, Hogan does a great job identifying three things for an individual. One, the strengths that they bring to the table. What are those behaviors that are inside of them that can be career derailers? And then the other third part about Hogan, which I really love, is they have this assessment called the MVPI. And what that assessment does is it really identifies what are the characteristics or traits of organizations that motivate you, that you value, Mm. that you prefer, right? And because I think once you understand those types of things, then you could start to figure out, all right, is the job that I'm applying for, is that going to bring out the best in me? The other reason why I like Hogan assessment is that it is rooted in socio-analytical theory. And so really, what does that mean? They are out there on a regular basis updating the data um, in their assessment, right? It's not like one of those assessments where one day you're this, and then all of a sudden you take it again and you're that, right? Mm -hmm. It's really drilled in on your personality. They're in the field, they're doing observations, they are updating that stuff. So again, really big fan of the Hogan assessment. Um, The other assessment, um, it's relatively new. And I don't know how many people out there are familiar with the five dysfunctions of a team. So really Patrick Lencioni, who wrote mm-hmm. that book, he um, created, he wrote another book called the, the Six Types of Working Genius, which I'm a huge fan of. And the whole premise of Working Genius is the assessment is really 80% how you like to get work done, 20% personality. Mm. Right. So it's really rooted in trying to identify what's the type of work that energizes you and what's the type of work that frustrates you. Mm-hmm. Because if you understand the work that energizes you, the big question is, how do you go ahead and go maximize that? Like whether it's in your personal life and your professional life. Right. Because sometimes I think a lot of us, we get caught up in these jobs that we're not super passionate about it or it's work that may frustrate us and that's the type of stuff that leads to burnout and again that's Mm -hmm. that churn that i think that can reverberate through individuals lives but working genius is 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 a great um assessment as well it's also a fantastic team assessment right to kind of sit there and have an entire team look at where they all fall who brings what skills to the table how do you maximize it so that's another good one yeah plus it's 
it's on the affordable side and pretty quick yes. to churn through too. So it's, it's very accessible. I know some of the assessments can kind of be hidden behind a pretty robust paywall, but uh, yeah, working yeah. genius is super accessible. So yeah. Yeah. And, it, and it's a lot of fun too. And, it, mm -hmm. and it, it's something that I personally use in my practice right now. And, and it's a great way to um, introduce a new set of vocabulary amongst the team, you know, in terms of, Hey, you know, Nick, we don't need any more, um, um, you know, we don't need any more wondering right now. We need more galvanizing right now. Right. Or, yeah. you know, so it's, it, it's a great way. It's another great way to effectively make uh, manage meetings as well. Oh, yeah. Um, so I've worked on it with organizations on like revamping how they meet. And this way you focus along, hey, is this an ideation meeting? Is this an activation meeting? Oh. Is it an implementation meeting? Um, then you could figure out what what skills do I need to really enhance or not enhance in these meetings? Because I think meetings sometimes are like meeting stew. Yeah. Right? Talking about everything at once. And that's why meetings are not effective. I love that lens, too, because yeah. I think being trying to be really intentional about meetings it's one thing to say hey here's the expected outcome but how you achieve it or what you need to achieve through the lens of those six geniuses could be could be super interesting yeah and then just a real, one last thing on on working genius um the other premise of working genius is work gets done in three phases it's an ideation phase an activation phase and then an implementation phase and um my, my geniuses and again it's part of the assessment it's really more so in that ideation phase and there are so many times in my last role at Nike, we would be in a meeting where we were trying to get something over the finish line and just get things over. And here comes Nick with a bunch of ideating at the time, mm. asking questions, coming up with new brainstorming ideas that would essentially hijack meetings and people would go act on it, right? Um, oh, versus yeah. what would have been better is, you know, Nick, we don't need, um, um, you know, um, ideating Nick right now. We need implementation, Nick, or even better is like, Nick, don't come to this meeting. Right. Because it's not right. my strength. Right. Yeah. Um, so, anyhow, yeah. No, that's great. And I do have you to thank for introducing me to the working geniuses. I think I saw you post something on it. So, that's great. Um, for working geniuses, as well as you mentioned for the MVPI with Hogan, yeah. I think you touched on uh, an awesome breakdown of not looking at job titles, but looking at like what does the actual work look like? Yeah. Um, which I think can be really, really uh, effective. But maybe, do you have any advice for somebody maybe on the outside looking in that maybe it doesn't belong to an organization or it's a function or a role that they're not necessarily familiar with? How do you understand uh, kind of what that looks like? Uh, maybe what the work is comprised of or composed of um, without necessarily knowing like the inside scoop on it? Yeah, and I think I think there are a few ways to go ahead and go do it, right? So, um, you know, let, let me take a step back and think about this. Like, so, so like within um, within Hogan, mm -hmm. right? One of the scales that they have in there, it's called prudence, right? And and that's one of the things I don't like about Hogan is some of the terminology that they use. But really, what prudence is, it's really about your your ability to focus on tasks, right? Mm -hmm. So people that are high in prudence, they're like very big picture thinkers. Where people who are low, they're very like focused on those details, that type of stuff, right? So again, once you know that about yourself, I think it's important to go ahead and go look at opportunities. And if you have the ability, I would start to ask questions mm -hmm. and maybe ask questions around like, hey, you know, is this role more in the details or is it more like creative thinking, more big picture thinking, right? Um, I think, you know, networking with others that may have, have, have been in the role in the past, that might be something that might help in there as well, because it is hard, right? Um, and, and especially when you are, when you are looking at roles, but again, I think it's like, once you know, like, what are the things that really tick for you? Um, 
again, how do you kind of make sure that you're asking those questions, whether you're interviewing or, or you're talking with somebody about a particular role, just how do you trace back to that? Yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. All right. Now maybe a slightly hot take, but you mentioned that there's a lot of crowded assessments out there. Yeah. There may be some, and this, you know, not to put you out there, but, you know, just to offer a possibly contrarian opinion, you know, what are, what's maybe an assessment that you think is super popular that you think maybe doesn't carry as much valuable weight to it? Uh, and maybe why? So not just a, Hey, I don't like this one. Cause I don't like this one, but maybe what are the, some misconceptions? Yeah, I- you know, and again, I give I, I give everybody credit for the assessments that are out there. <laughs> yeah. I really do. And I and I and I, I look, I think it's it's like a toolbox, right? Every tool has 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 a meaning for it. Um what, I, you know, again, Myers Briggs is one of those that come to mind that just yeah. doesn't resonate with me. Yeah. And and the reason why it doesn't resonate with me is because again, this is why I really appreciate Hogan. They are out there on a regular basis updating the data that's in there. And that's part of the reason why you take a Myers-Briggs one day and one day you're an introvert and then yeah. all of a sudden you're an extrovert. Because again, if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, I, I believe it was in the 70s was when Myers-Briggs was created. I, 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 I had to I, check I, the I, dates. I think it was even earlier than that a little bit. Yeah. 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 And, and my knowledge, it hasn't been updated. And, and the bands within that, like take introverted, extroverted, mm-hmm. so narrow, right? Which is why you take it one day and answer two questions slightly different. Now, all of a sudden you flip because now all of a sudden you went from you know, on one side to the other very, very quickly. And, and mm-hmm. I don't know if it necessarily has that. And, and that's why, again, some of the other out things out there like Hogan, right? They have this big range that goes mm-hmm. in there and their behaviors within each of the spectrum. If we go back to that prudence example, right? Where low end, I'm very detailed focused, high end, I'm a big picture, this thinker. There's a behavioral spectrum because you could be smack dab in the beha- in, in the middle of that where mm-hmm. you, are an in, you are an individual that can take the conceptual, break it down into small chunks and translate it into tactical objectives. That's a behavioral spectrum. That's the type of stuff that doesn't show up in say like a Myers-Briggs as an example, right? Yeah. Um, or, or, you know, again, not to keep plugging working genius, but working genius is truly about how do we get work done? Some of those assessments, it's like very personality driven. So yeah. it's like, okay, great. I'm at this now. Now what? What does that really mean for an organization to actually get work done? And that's where working genius is a phenomenal tool. Yeah. I like even how you framed it up where it was, you know, 80% kind of how you prefer to work and 20% personality too. Cause I think I I'm a big fan of Myers Briggs only because it was the first one I ever got introduced to. But I agree with you completely that it it's this like, great, here's this label. Now what do I do with it? Like that next step and that fluidity, you know, that could be context sensitive. It's to be very hard to uh, to pin down and in, into a way that doesn't make you feel like constantly having to change how you are. Yeah, and I think you have to be able to go ahead and go look at all these assessments out there and figure out how to piece them together and mm. it. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, not to just keep using Hogan and Working Genius, but just a quick example. In Working Genius, one of the traits, one of the six types of Working Genius, is galvanizing. Right. So you could you could get all your energy from galvanizing. Right. How do I inspire action, get people rallied around the cause like that's that's galvanizing. Right. Mm -hmm. Now, that's that's what you prefer to do. That does not address what kind of galvanizer are you? Uh. And that's where like a Hogan, for example, may sit there and say, yeah, you do a great job galvanizing because you're warm, you're inviting, you get people on board. 
Then there are those that are galvanizing where they kind of pound their fists <laughs> on the ground yeah. on the table and that's galvanizing as well. Right. So I think that's where I think you can kind of start to complement a lot of these stuff. Um, but on their own, both Hogan and Working Genius are, are pretty good, too. Yeah. You know, I like that call out to the independently They're They're very good. But then combined, you can get a lot of synergy from them. So. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so maybe whether through discovery with assessments for yourself or, or otherwise, uh, another one of the things that I think of when I think of you and career is kind of this rightful insistence on owning the narrative of your career yeah. as you maybe want to make a pivot. And so, I mean, we both work for a place that was very high on storytelling. And I think we probably either internalize some of that or we're naturally inclined to it. But can you maybe talk about how you approach telling the story of your career and your career aspirations so that people don't just make the the assumption for whatever. And I think maybe the flip side, the danger is everybody loves a, a one pager. Here's my career. Here's me on a yeah. page. So you get to know me. You got to make sure you've got the right stuff so people don't draw the wrong conclusions. So I'll, I'll leave that kind of open. There are a couple yeah. of different entry points, but um, I'd love to hear your thoughts on kind of owning the narrative of your career. Yeah. I, and I think as I, um, as I continue to get older and as I continue to work um, with other individuals in the coaching sphere, I, I, it just continues to stress how important this is. And to be perfectly honest, I don't think this is something that I really recognize until I got to Nike. Mm. Uh, I never really proactively managed my career um, in, until I got to Nike. To your point, it, Nike, phenomenal storytellers, and it just shows how important it was. I didn't know what a career map was. Mm -hmm. I didn't even know the importance of networking. But like at Nike, Nike was so relationship driven. And when I got there, I, I, I tried to embrace this. And and I think this is super important for people to do. Like I would literally try to send, set aside an hour a week to meet people. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it could be really, really difficult. Like I'm introverted, mm -hmm. right? Um, I, I'm on more of the introverted scale. Um, it, it's hard for those introverts to get out there and, and um, chat with people and, and talk about themselves and their careers and their aspirations and all that stuff, right? Mm -hmm. um, one of the things that I that opened my eyes, and I work with a lot of individuals on this, um, at Nike were the strategy one pagers. Mm, okay. And yeah. for those that may not be familiar with it, just kind of picture a one pager of your organization with what the what basically with what the work of it is captured very cleanly on on a one pager. Because I think once you have that in hand, especially for those introverts, it allows those introverts to talk about the work based on something that's aligned to a strategy, right? Mm. Where it doesn't feel as icky talking about, hey, look at all the great, <laughs> look at all the great stuff that I just yeah. did. Right? You're able to sit there and say, hey, look, you know, we've just implemented process XYZ or we just achieved these results. Let me show you how this connects to the bigger picture. That's a completely different conversation than just talking about how, oh, you know, I'm doing such a great job, right? So those yeah. strategy one pagers were, were, were so important there. And that that's what also got me there. The other thing, so also back to the narrative of an organization, um, one thing that I never wanted to be, um, pegged as was the lean six Sigma guy, mm -hmm. right. Um, that was something that was super important to me. So the advice that I have for people that are trying to just maybe change the pivot of their career a little bit, one, say yes to everything <laughs> and figure it out. You know, I won't go into the detail cause I don't want to get like labeled as a fraud, but I can't tell you Patrick <laughs> how many times I didn't know what I was doing, but I said yes to it. I would just do a Google search and I would just, just, just figure it out. Right. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that that's another big piece of it there, there too. 
the other piece of it too, that I found that was just also so important to kind of help show people your range is be a thought partner and a creative problem solver Mm -hmm. and always come with a point of view. Right. And, and this is something else that I work with a lot of individuals on a lot of people out there assume that they're, they assume that the leader that they have, they know everything, Hmm. right? They know, you know, I should just, I should bring them a problem and they should tell me how to solve it. I could tell you from my experience. And then also just with a lot of like the executives that I coach, they don't know. I never knew. I didn't Hmm. know every aspect of everybody else's jobs and whatnot. I think every it's lonely at the top. You know, you try to pretend that, you know, what's going on. But when you come with a point of view, that is just so relieving to so many other people out there. It's like, all right, somebody else has something that we can Mm -hmm. iterate on and Mm -hmm. and go from there. So I think coming with a point of view, I can't underestimate that enough. Um, I was just actually working with a group of directors in May um, out in New York, and we were doing just some general training. And I I kept on telling them, be the chief, be Mm -hmm. the chief. What I meant by that is if you were in operations, play the role of COO. If you were in sales, play the role of chief sales organization, uh, of chief sales officer, excuse me. Yeah. What I mean by that is pretend that that's your organization. Run it how you want. Go to your boss with, hey, look, FYI, here's what we're doing. Let me know if you have a problem with this. Mm. Right. Nobody wants to just sit there and just have to go ahead and go constantly dictate, go, this is what you need to do. Do this, do that, do this, do this. Be yeah. the chief. Yeah. No, I like kind of that owner's mindset of like, hey, if this were mine, how would I want to do this? Not for the sake of ego or anything, but just the like you're saying, like have a point of view, have an opinion, put in the thought instead of just come in and punch a clock, be told what yeah. to do. Yeah. I think that also helps you control the narrative too. And to be perfectly honest, it also helps control the work that you want to do versus not want to do. Right. Mm. Um, and, and again, I don't care where you are in the organization. Again, if you are looking at the landscape and you are sitting there saying, I believe this, this is something that we need to go ahead and go do. And I have, I have time and capacity for it. Run with it. I, I don't see people often saying no to that type of stuff. Yeah. No, that's great. Hmm. All right. So I think now um, you talked about what led you into coaching or led you into HR first, I guess, before getting into the coaching and consulting. Um, Can you maybe talk for those that might be a little less familiar with the broad landscape of HR? We've had a few folks from different HR functions come on and realize that it largely gets blanketed under one very generic kind of term, but there are tons of different sub-disciplines within there. Can you maybe talk about what your role in HR was to help people understand what's out there in terms of different kinds of things to do? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and it, and we can go deeper into this if, if you'd like, Patrick. It, it, I never, ever thought my career would lead me to HR. It, mm. it, I never would have thought in a, mil- a million years. And I can get it if you'd like. We can chat more about that. Yeah. Because um, I just always viewed it as kind of like the fun police or something that you did if you had to go, something bad was happening. Um, but when I got into HR at Nike, um, I could tell you, like, HR professionals don't get enough credit. Uh, especially mm. in this day and age. I know a lot of people are leaving the function in general, um, just because if, if you think about what's just gone on within the HR function real quick over the past few years between like COVID, a lot of the political social unrest, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the whole thing about work from home, bringing people back, all that stuff, right? 
there are so many people behind the scenes in HR that are actually bringing this stuff to life. And it is extraordinarily difficult to try Mm. to satisfy everybody. I don't care if you are (laughs) 20 person organization or a thousand or 40,000 person organization. It is extremely, I mean, just think about your own family. How often does everybody (laughs) in your own family get on the same page on anything? It's like rarely nothing. But within the HR function, Um, You know, you think about like the talent acquisition side of it, right? Um, You think about talent management and talent management is this broad um, bucket of how are we attracting talent? How are we retaining talent? How are we developing talent? How are we transitioning talent, whether Mm. it's people leaving the organization or we need people in different roles, that succession planning that goes underneath that stuff, right? So even within talent management, there are so many clicks in there, total rewards too. Mm-hmm. you know, more of the, the, the pay, the compensation, the benefits that you typically say, again, also incredibly complex. Um, you know, it, it's, it's people sometimes wonder why it's so hard to get set pay, pay raises and things like that. Mm-hmm. There are reasons for it because of the whole things around equity right now. And rightfully so, right. There's a lot yeah. of catch up that needs to happen in the space for a lot of people, right. Um, because in the past that you, maybe it used to be who you knew, you know, you were friends with your boss and it was just easier. Right. Um, and yeah, no, there, there's some right sizing of that ship there as well. Um, you got the regular employee relations, right? I don't, I did to all the people in employee relations out there. I, I, my, my hat is off to you. Um, I don't know how you have, um, um, any faith in humanity. You know, these individuals are dealing with all those complaints, um, yeah. that are out there and, and, and shame on us all as human beings for not operating as good human beings in the workplace where we do have to go ahead and go file complaints against one another. So, so again, it's it's an incredibly vast landscape of um, just people who generally care for people. Mm. Uh, my Nike HR, I didn't run into many people that just did not like people. Um, right. It was always about the person um, and trying to do what's best. Um, so again, hat, um, um, kudos to all the HR people out there. Yeah, no, that, that's great. And I think too, awesome call out, just a reminder for, especially people that are parts of big organizations to think, why is this taking so long? Well, We've got to do all the complexities. There's laws involved. There's, you know, considerations around equity. Plus there's however many thousands of people to also take into account. So I think really and great actually, And you just made me realize another huge group of people that I just have to thank in there. Your HR business partner, your people partner. Yeah. Right. Those are the people that are expected to know, like all these functions that I talked about earlier. Right. And they're kind of that face of the business where, yeah, sometimes they need to go back and consult um, experts or they are kind of on that first line dealing with all that stuff. So again, um, I was just thinking back to my HRBP partners um, and I, I would have felt really, really guilty afterwards. <laughs> yeah. I think given all that, um, given all the, I think the the hardship, not hardship, but I guess the, whether it's societal or just the nature of the job, the, the difficulties that face uh, HR in general, for you, what, what ultimately tip the scales to make you think that all of that was worth what you were going to get out of it when you moved into that space. Yeah. And it's funny. I, I don't think I knew to be honest. Mm. And, and, and my, um, I kind of stumbled into HR to be perfectly honest. And, um, it wasn't into, it wasn't until like a random phone call that really opened my eyes and, and just, just, just for some context here, it was about, um, early 2016, I was going to leave Nike. 
Mm. Uh, I had an offer to go back into consulting and I was, I was ready to take it. Um, I thought before I left, I, I was going to go give uh, Patrick, you and I both know her on class. Mm-hmm. Um, call just just to let her know, and and on Klaus is just a phenomenal individual, one of the most brilliant just, just minds, and just a wonderful human being. Um, and um, she was on sabbatical at the time, and she she left, and she was out doing her thing. Mm-hmm. And I remember I tried calling her, left a voicemail, and figured, all right, well, I'm just probably going to move on. And then five minutes later, my phone rang. It was her, and I let her know I was about to leave, and she strongly encouraged me to reevaluate mm. and not. Leave. And she asked a very, very simple question for me. She said, um, if you could do anything at Nike, where would you go? And I said, I, I would just want, I go, I just want to focus on the culture of the organization. Mm-hmm. I've always been fascinated on what makes a good culture or a bad culture and the impact that it has on people. And she really said, hey, you need to go ahead and go see if you can get into HR. And I didn't, those dots never clicked until she she said that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Back to what you and I talked about earlier about networking, I, I started to network a little bit and I learned about a role that really blended all of my experiences together. So it had some of the process in it, it had the strategy side of it, it had the chief of staff stuff all rolled into one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember I interviewed for a role um, supporting our Asia Pacific Latin America geography. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't get it. Um, and the, the feedback that I got um, was the leader I would have been supporting. They figured that he and I, with both of our personalities, it would just would have been this big collision. Um, and like there would be this nexus of energy just like drained from the world. Um, <laughs> then like three months later, I got a um, a phone call that was a much better fit. It was a global role supporting um, Nike retail and Nike digital. Mm-hmm. And this is where I was able to go in and go work with uh, Susie Hilton Osaki, who an, another wonderful human being um, who I learned so much from in, in the HR side of it. Um, she is just, especially that strategic thinker, she and I would get into a room and and the world was our oyster, right? We, we <laughs> yeah. would figure out where we were going to go take this organization and how we we're going to push the envelope and really get it there. Um so, so really it was just through my interactions with these individuals, Patrick, that just made me realize just the, the importance of the function. And, and, and it also, I, this is the type of stuff though, in my, during my time in HR, where I learned about um, Hogan, I mm. learned more about executive coaching and that's what really got my gears turning in terms of, wow, this is stuff that I just want to continue to do more of, um, and, and then eventually I went ahead and, and, and made that switch, um, to go ahead and go do it full time. Um, and, and then I just think real quick, I think it's just kind of going back to a commitment of learning, you know, mm. when you're in this organization, just learn about everything you can. You just never know, um, where your career is going to take you. I mean, again, I started my career on a manufacturing floor in the world of lean six Sigma. I never would have thought I'd be where I'm at today. <laughs> yeah. Never. I think it's that, like you just said, it's the always be focused on learning and improving personally. And then the other piece that you mentioned was say yes, like figure it out. Like if you think you might want to do it, say yes. And I mean, and and to some degree too, what I wanted to touch on is you mentioned on and and kind of building those networks and building those those relationships. How how do you know? And maybe advice for others as well. How do you know when you've made like a, a real connection where you feel like you can pick somebody up on like an executive that's on the sabbatical and leave a voicemail and doesn't sound like you expected a callback, but you got a call back. Like how, how do you build those kinds of 
authentic, meaningful relationships? Yeah, I, I think it's a great question. I, I think it kind of goes back to maybe some of the things I may have touched on where um, one, just being a thought partner and always coming with a point of view, mm. right? Um, I, I think we live in a world where we want, you know, we want to hear what people think um, in the workplace. Um, so, so having that point of view is super important. Um, I also think that showing up consistently delivering that you're looking out for the best interest of the company or the organization or the function first, mm -hmm. and then your teammates, then second, and then your felt is yourself third. I think that's also super important. Um, it's a good question of like, how do you know? Mm -hmm. I think sometimes you just, you just know, right. Yeah. Um, and, and, and having that advocate out there in the organization is super important. That's why, again, I think going out there and networking and don't be afraid to ask people to be a mentor. Mm, right? Yeah. I, I have, I don't know if I've ever heard anybody say, say no. Right. Yeah. Um, people will always try to figure out how to make time. People generally want to help individuals. I, mm -hmm. I believe, right. Um, ask for that mentorship. Right. And, and, and feel vulnerable. Um, I, and I think go back to, how do you know, um, these were leaders that I felt like that I could be vulnerable with. And in turn, they could be vulnerable with me. Right. It was something mm -hmm. where we kept confidentiality, um, which was so key as well in these relationships. So I think confidentiality plays a huge role. Um, but again, I think it's just kind of asking and, and, and just developing those relationships. I mean, it happens over time. Yeah. I like that, that call out too, that it's, it's not just you putting yourself out there. There's some reciprocity in there, vulnerability, and you you truly like you know it when you feel it. And I think maybe the I don't know about you, but I used to go in thinking, man, I'm gonna create this mentor relationship, and if it doesn't like, and then feel bad if it didn't click and things, didn't, and I yeah. try and force it a little bit, and it was super awkward, and just got to the point where I had to realize like everybody's got the best intentions, but not everybody's gonna be somebody that I feel like I can lean on and can give me great advice, like. It's great to get to know them and that might be it. Yeah. It's like, that's a, it's another great call, Patrick. Cause I also think a lot of people, they don't know how to mm. uh, mentor. I think people they have, they, to your point, they have the best intentions, mm -hmm. um, but it's hard, you know, it, it is hard. And that's why, yeah. I mean, I think it does take a few times, you know, I don't know how many people out there go to therapy or whatnot. It's almost mm -hmm. like kind of finding a therapist. Right. Yeah. It takes sometimes it takes two or three people to, and then you find the one and you're like, okay, I think this is where this is going to work now. It, it, same thing goes with with mentoring. Same thing goes with with leaders that you work for that you gel with that you don't. Um, it, it takes some time, but when you do find it, you'll 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 have that satisfaction of knowing that, yeah, I can call them and and you know they'll get back to me, right? Yeah. Um, and I've got a handful of people that I to this day throughout my career, you know, and I think that's the other part of it too, is keep in touch too with people. Mm, yeah. Um, even if it's just like, Hey, you know, um, was thinking of you, I hope you're doing well. I mean, that type of stuff's like, Oh, wow. You know, I didn't really think that you'd be thinking of me. That's fantastic. Right. Yeah. Um, that means a lot to people too. Yeah. No, that's a great call. And I think very low effort, even for, I mean, like you very introverted. So those things, those little notes are pretty easy to send off without, uh, having to invest too much in, in putting yourself out there. Yeah. Yeah. No, a hundred percent. Yeah. I think maybe we can pivot slightly. We talked about organizations, um, and from your time in HR and in your current role as well, kind of consulting and advising executives in large organizations or any size organization, 
What have you found are kind of the biggest challenges that you see not only for workers today, but as well as organizations trying to retain and and propel workers forward uh, within the organization? Yeah, no, it's uh, it's a great question. It's also a big question too. <laughs> yeah, um, and and it, it, it's good though. And um, so I'm just going to give you my point of view on this stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know if this is necessarily going to line up to the most like financial business savvy type stuff, but I'm just going to talk through like at least some of the things that I'm seeing that I think are super important. Um, number one, um, mental health and well being mm. um, for for employees of organizations, managing stress, burnout, the psychological implications of just the rapidly changing work that we're all dealing with. Um, burnout uh, is is a huge passion of mine, and we feel free we could talk more about this. I'm spending a lot of time talk. I've been doing a lot of time um, researching burnout. Um, it, it is a big thing. I think the latest stat, I think, is from um, the American Psychological Association was 82% of workers are experiencing some form of burnout. Mm. Uh, and it's, for, it's wrong. It, it's just, it's, it's, we, we shouldn't be burnt out. Yeah. Um, but it's a real thing. So I think that's a big thing for organizations to figure out structures um, to to help support, you know, recognizing the importance of mental health. I just wrote an article on this on LinkedIn about the word burnout. And mm. um, I believe that we are generically using, uh, we're overusing the term burnout to the point where we can effectively solve the problem. Because when we say burnout, we automatically think of overload burnout. But not everybody is experiencing overload burnout. A lot of the stuff that I was burnt out from in my career, and I talked about it when I used to shift um, shift jobs, was I was under challenged. That is a mm. form of burnout. Yeah, um, neglect burnout is a thing of those individuals that just feel helpless in the face of challenges. It's that anxiety side of it, right? So I think it's great that organizations are giving a full week off and all that good stuff to for for people. But I think that that you know some organizations like Nike they shut down for a week, which again mm-hmm. I, I think that that's fantastic. I think that just assumes that everyone's suffering from overload burnout. Yeah. Um, but again, I, I I love the fact that they're everyone's trying out there. So so mental health well being I think is a huge thing. Um, generational differences mm, yeah. is, is a big thing as well. And, and, and so for employees, I think um, bridging the communication and expectation gaps with colleagues of different de- generations is huge. I'm actually um, coaching an individual right now. We did a 360 um, for the individual. And part of the feedback is the, the struggle with communicating with those like from Gen Z. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, it's a thing, right? Um, so I think organizations, they need to kind of look at, you know, the expectation, the needs of a multi-generational workforce um, and leveraging the strengths of each generation. I don't know if enough thought is being put into there as well. Yeah. Uh, you almost wonder too, with, uh, with being able to fragment or at least like break down employee bases into generational groups or, or whatever group, it almost makes it easier then to tailor or understand what kinds of solutions you can offer. And it doesn't need to be this one size fits 80,000 people. It's all right. We've got a few different things and we think these ones are most meaningful to this group. And this, yep. these things are most meaningful to another. And I think it's also, I think you're right. And I also think it's educating everybody as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's just a lot of assumptions. I think everybody's moving so quickly out there and everyone has, I think has positive intent. Yeah. I think everybody's just moving so quickly where it's it's hard to pause and say, I, I may need to adjust. And just a, a great example that, that caught me off guard, and I'm glad I know about it now, like um, like um, the phrase to um, kill two birds with one stone. 
Mm. Right. There are a lot of people in in that are in the work early in their careers in the workforce that find that not to be the best use of language. Oh, interesting. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And and I and I get it, right? Because they it deems violence and things like that. Um, so there are things like that, right? And and it's funny, I was the person I was chatting with, um, she's a she's extremely intelligent. Um, she's a lawyer, and um, she was saying, Yeah, I mean, maybe it needs to be, you know, catch two birds with one net. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so right. I get it. That, that makes sense. But it's those types of things, right? And I think we need to be able to have those open conversations around the generational differences. Um, especially when you know, it's something so that's not a huge lift, right? That's not like this whole, yeah. like, you got to come up with this entire program and roll it out to a company. It's right. just being mindful of how you speak and being open and willing to change something for the benefit of somebody else. That's right. That's right. And just acknowledge it and and be like, okay, look, every, I think we're all in a space where we're all learning and let's kind of have that forgiveness as well too. I mm-hmm. think that's, I don't know, as a society, I don't think we're very forgiving anymore. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, I think in the workplace, I think we need to kind of dial that up. I mean, a couple of other things that that you, you just that are coming to mind about what's going on in the space. Um, organiza- a shift in organizational structures. This is a big one. Um, mm. I think you're going to start to see more non-traditional um, organizational structures out there, more flatter structures. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I think employees needing to adjust on that. I know I'm I was working with and I think we're going to continue the work on um we're, we're starting to think about like how do we create a boundaryless organization Ooh. right and and how do we truly understand the passions of each person and maximize that and it may mean shifting people into different roles which means like how do you effectively onboard and train people into these organizations and you may move them around a lot but they're getting a lot of different skills in their backpack that make them more valuable to go up that career ladder at some point. So there's that out there as well. Hmm. Um, and then I also think the last one I'll just quickly touch on here is, is career management and planning, right? And this is stuff that we've been talking about throughout our time here, right? Yeah. You know, I think I think gone are the days, or at least they're rapidly diminishing, where you're going to get tapped on the shoulder and somebody says, hey, you know, Patrick, you know, you've been in your role for three years, you've done a fantastic job, we're going to move you up, right? Um, it, 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 it's not happening anymore. There's so much more thought that's going into career planning and organizations. But I think what that means for employees is you have to know yourself and you have to sell yourself. Mm. Know those things. What's that compass inside of you? What are those strengths? Are you in roles that align to your passions, right? Um, back to what we talked about earlier is Coming with that point of view, that 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 thought partnership, right? Being that chief is mm-hmm. is, is so critical as well. Yeah, and I love to. I mean, to to really bring it full circle as well. Like those assessments can really help to bring language to some of those things. So you can you know how to speak to yourself. You know how like what you can highlight, what feels true, and then what yeah. do you want to reflect back to others that might be interested in learning about you. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. And and the other part of it too is is also just kind of knowing it too. And I think back to the assessments in Hogan, there's um there, there's a scale that really talks about like your ability to really comprehend. It's more about like your strategic thinking, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I often for those that sometimes fall on the lower side, they said, oh, you know, I need to go ahead and go work on strategic thinking because, you know, I need that apparently to go ahead and go move up to the next role. Yeah. My 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 question for that is always why not just be an expert 
in what you're fantastic at, mm. which is more of the execution, the detail side of it. Because sometimes like having to get somebody to jump that big range like that, all of a sudden to be very creative, very long-term thinking, it's almost like if you're right-handed, having to write with your left hand constantly, it's just going to take right. a tremendous amount of work, right? Yeah. So know that and find those roles that just are going to be just stuff that you could just crush in the future. Yeah. I think to borrow language again from another assessment that we didn't talk about was the, the Clifton strengths assessment, yeah, the Gallup, like, too, the very similar idea of know your yep. strengths so that yep. those are what you can emphasize. Otherwise you're going to spend 10 times more effort and likely lean into things that drain your energy, just trying to get marginally better at something that you're not naturally inclined towards. So yeah. Yeah. I love that. Uh, well, for the sake of time, we'll skip now to maybe some fun questions to kind of wrap sure. up. So this has been great. Uh, we could definitely chat. Like you said, that last question was very loaded and any one of those can can really dig into. So I'll uh, we'll put a link to your burnout article in the show notes so people right. can read it. Um, but maybe uh, fun stuff from your career. Um, maybe what's the coolest thing that you've ever done and take cool however you will, whether it was yeah. just this moment that you stood back and said, man, I can't believe that this is, I get to do this. Yeah. I, I think two quick things come to mind. Um, one, when I was at Nike HR, um, what we ended up doing, um, another individual who I love the desk, Chris Young, um, we ended up creating career paths for employees that worked in our retail stores into corporate. Oh, cool. Because uh, we also, because what we also found that is people sometimes took jobs at our stores thinking that it was a path into corporate, but we didn't have a lot of visibility into that population. Mm -hmm. uh, so we spent a lot of time identifying good entry point roles into corporate. And, and I think that also just kind of really helped enhance people's lives. And there's a ton of work that went into that, but that, that was something that was really cool. I think the other one that was really cool for me is this was early in my career um, when I worked for a company at Textron Systems, it's a defense company. Um, we did a joint venture with Raytheon and um, myself and another guy from Raytheon, we traveled out to Ogden, Utah to work with the U.S. Air Force at the, one of their logistics centers. And, um, you know, the whole point was like, how do we speed up the process? Like once it, once a, like a F-14 is on the ground, like how do we speed it up just where we get it back on the air? And our work got recognized, actually. And um, he and I got flown out to Washington, D.C. Um, and we had um, General um, Greg Speedy Martin. Um, he's a four-star general. He gave us an award um, and we got to have dinner with him. And oh, cool. um, that was just, that was just really, really cool. Um, and something that I'll never forget. Um, and um, yeah, it was just, you just never know how this stuff turns out. Yeah. That's awesome. All right. Now flip side, maybe what's something that you wish you'd known earlier in your career, whether it was a misstep or a mistake that you're like, man, I wish yeah. I'd known that. What would you, what would you tell somebody else? Uh, great. It's another great question. I think, um, one, don't take, don't take a job just for the money. Mm. Uh, try to spend some time understanding what are your passions? What are your values? Um, what are the things that, that get you excited in organizations and try to align to that. Right. Um, cause again, I can go pay you a ton of money, but then all of a sudden you're working at the motor vehicle, right. Uh, is that, yeah. and again, for some, that may be great, right. For others, if for me, it would just wouldn't work. Right. So I think that, I think the importance of networking and storytelling, mm. it, it is so important, right? And, and again, for those um, for those introverts out there, there are ways to go ahead and go do it to make it less icky. Like, for example, those little strategy one-pagers I find so effective. Mm -hmm. uh, it's something that I help individuals a lot with. I also think that people generally want to help and get pleasure out of helping others, which I think goes back into the networking. Um, people want to open the doors for you, right? And mm -hmm. I think that's where you 
can maybe find those mentoring side of it um, as well. But I think that's just, that's just kind of like one of the biggest things that, that come to mind. That's awesome. Any final advice or thoughts around career that you might want to put out there? I don't, I don't know. I don't think so. Um, I, again, it's, 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 don't be afraid to actively manage it. There are other mm-hmm. people who are actively managing it and, and, and to be, I, I don't like it that that's a fact, but sometimes, but that's what people do. And those are the people that get noticed. Um, I always tell people don't hate the player, hate the game. <laughs> sure. And that's just one of those things, right? It's, it is a game in some capacity, right? So manage your career. Um, but at the spend, at, you know, know yourself too. spend yeah. some time identifying like what what are you good at and really like how do you maximize um, yeah maximize your strengths i think yeah with that too like understand if you even want to play that particular game or take your ball and go 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 home i think that and i think that's part of it too and i think sometimes you quickly realize and there are people i work with uh, as well where we realize that maybe this isn't the best place for you and Mm. how do we get the real quick thing I, i i just want to quickly add interview practice interview oh yeah um, do do just go onto linkedin apply for jobs because there is nothing worse than when you're miserable or you don't have a job and all of a sudden you've got your first interview and you haven't interviewed for eight years and how the nerves apply for jobs get that resume updated it's almost therapeutic as well <laughs> yeah. um, so 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 that's that's other things that i always recommend to people too the in the interviewing too by the way That'll also give you great insight into maybe some of the skills that you may be at lacking or skills that you need to accentuate on your resume as well um, to get those callbacks as well. Oh, yeah. I like that idea that it's not just an end, but it could be a means and a, a part of the process to go through those interviews. Yep. A hundred percent. You never have to take the job and you never know too, by the way, back to saying yeah. yes to everything. You never know. Yeah, no, that's great. Well, Nick, this was great. Thank you so much for all the time. I uh, want to make sure that we've got a spot for you to talk about anything that you're excited about, anything that you're working on. You want to plug anything? Any? How can people find you? How can they, uh, if they want to work with you to understand how to, to storytell effectively? Yeah. Um, thanks, Patrick. I, um, one, um, I love conversations. Um, I don't have a website yet. It's embarrassing to say that. I've been doing this for a year and I still don't have a website um, you could find me on LinkedIn. Um, you could also shoot me a note at Nick at Montalbineconsulting.com and Patrick, maybe we could add a link into the, yeah. find that as well. Absolutely. Um, um, I, I love a conversation. Um, there's no pressure just having a conversation. I'm also learning that I'm the worst salesperson as well. Um, you know, I, I, my, I, I look, I love to coach. I love to work with people. My coaching is different. I'm a thought partner, um, with you. We're trying to solve problems together. Um, the other thing that I love doing right now is um, um, I'm spending some time doing some speaking opportunities on burnout. Oh, awesome. And my own experiences with burnout, what meant, what led me to leave Nike, what are the strategies that I'm currently employing that I was overwhelmed by researching burnout when I was going through it. And now I feel like I've boiled it down into like three or four key topics as well. Um, so, so again, anyone wants to talk more about burnout, I'm always happy to do that. Um, but yeah, no, um, that's, that's kind of my thing right now. Yeah, that's great. We'll put links for sure. Um, that you mentioned and to your article on burnout and anything else. And I can speak for, uh, from personal experience that you have absolutely been a great thought partner through even my own, uh, career journey. So, uh, again, think back very fondly to our walks we would have at work and when we try and chat through what we were going to do next. Yeah, no, I always appreciated it, Patrick. All right. Well, thanks a lot, Nick. No, thank you. 
It's hard to believe that it had been nearly a year since Nick and I had last connected, but almost as a testament to the kind of lasting connections that can be made throughout your career journey that we just talked about in the interview, it felt like we were just picking up and like we were on a walk that we used to have when we'd go around the Nike campus and talk. Nick touched on a lot of great topics that are near and dear to my heart, and we've talked about some of those in recent episodes. So for more on different kinds of assessments that can be used throughout building your career journey and, or your career story, you can check out episode two in our career plan part two on the internal drivers of Ikigai. For more on how to frame up a career goal, check out episode six, where we talk about setting goals using the Harada method and how you can coalesce your own narrative and put it to use in telling your career story. I invite you to listen to episode five, where we wrap up our Ikigai career plan series. And I talk about how to put your career plan to work for you. And finally, for some tips on networking, you can listen to who I consider to be a true natural networker and revisit the career deep dive that we just recently did with Will Sandman in episode 16. I'll put all these links to the episodes in our show notes. And finally, be sure to check out the excellent article that Nick published on LinkedIn on burnout and the nuances needed to see it beyond a singularly defined phenomena. And if you're interested in reaching out directly to Nick, you can find him on LinkedIn. I'll post a link to his profile, his article, and his personal email address in the show notes as well. I really hope you check them out. And that about does it for this episode. So as always, if you have any thoughts or questions or ideas you'd like to hear covered in future episodes, you can send them to me at patrick at prgscoach.com. And if you have a unique career story of your own or feel as though you have something to offer the world as far as career development advice goes, I'd love to hear from you and we can see about having you on in a future episode. And with that, I'll sign off with a certain type of perfection can only be realized through a limitless accumulation of the imperfect. Thanks for listening in, and we'll talk more in our next episode.